Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Enlightened investors, I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and I am delighted to discover with you today how to 10x your portfolio with small multifamily properties. Eric Bolin is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, and author who retired at the age of 30 with over 480 units of rental properties. Eric currently helps investors start and scale their portfolio from the site he founded, realestateinvesting.org. So Eric, take us into the conversation today by sharing a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. All right. Well, I will uh, tell a story about how I discovered passive income. And it's a very interesting, funny story. And that had completely changed my life. So starting at the beginning, I was a PhD student. I was studying economics and I thought I was going to be a professor. That was what I thought I was going to be. And I bought a uh, three-family property. This was back in 2009. They were doing a $8,000 first-time homebuyer credit. And I'm like, you want to know what? I want the $8,000. Let me figure this out. And so I somehow, well, full-time student, tons of debt, like part-time jobs, like I, I don't know. I somehow was able to get that three-family because the extra two units of rent get added to your income when you're trying to qualify. Bought that property. I was 24, I think. And well, my plan was to be a regular person. I was going to sell it in a few years. I thought I was buying at the bottom and I would sell it in a few years and I'd move into a house and be a normal regular person. That was the plan. And that all changed one night when I was watching TV and I got a knock at the door and it was kind of late at night. It was eight or nine o'clock at night. And this is not a neighborhood that people walk around outside. It's like, <laughs> all I could afford was one of the worst neighborhoods, to be honest. So people don't knock on your door at nine o'clock at night. And so I'm like, okay, who's that? I open up the door and it's one of my tenants there to pay me the rent. And I took the cash. And my theory is he always paid in cash. I think he was a drug dealer. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I took the money. Either way, he gave me no problems. I gave him his receipt. I sat down and I'm like, man, that's like two weeks worth of work for me. That's, that's a lot of work for me to get that money. And I just sat here watching TV and the money came knocking on my door. And I'm like this. And literally that moment, I just sat there. I kind of buzzed or faded off of the TV. I wasn't listening to it. And I was just thinking like the wheels are grinding like an old computer. And, and it's just like, wow, what am I doing with my life? This is what I need to be doing. And, and right there that night, that moment, my whole entire life changed. Because from then on, I started planning, how do I get money to come like knock on my door? And that come very, very formative. It's, it's just because it completely changed my understanding of the world, passive income. It, just, it was just life-changing. And you know, what, 12, 13 years later, here I am. So total life shift, huge, huge thing for me. That is very interesting how that light bulb suddenly went on. And it's a very, very unlikely story for a PhD candidate in economics. I have an interesting story regarding professors of economics. Yeah. I had a property that was actually adjacent to a university in the community that I was living in. It was actually a triplex. And I had this triplex for sale. And I got this, this property was in North Carolina. And I got a call from a realtor. I think she was in New Hampshire. And as we got to talking, I discovered that she was the sister 
of an economic professor at this university where okay. I was living. This professor had been at this university for a number of years. He was not a young man, and he had never purchased a real estate property. And supposedly, he knew all about economics because, well, he's a professor of economics. Right. So I think you, the light bulb went on for you probably at a good stage in your life. You may still be stuck as a professor of economics, not knowing anything about economics. Well, you know, <laughs> economics is a really weird field. You know, I used to think economics professors knew everything about the economy, and it's just not, not how that works. Yeah. There's so many different fields. They don't necessarily understand how money works. They, they just understand how resources are distributed in economy. That's literally what they study. And, and it's funny because all of my professors thought I was an idiot for doing what I was doing because I ended up dropping out of the program. So I, I bought it and then I was there for a year. I had like deployed to Afghanistan during that time because I was in the army. And then when I came back, I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this program. I'm changing. I've been focused on real estate. And I'm going to take my savings. I'm going to invest it into more real estate and I'm leaving the program. And they, they all thought I was dumb, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, I can, yeah, I expect they probably did. I actually felt like a failure. I felt like <laughs> a total failure leaving the program. I, mm. I really did. And, and it's yeah. actually, it's probably important for most people. Like when you alter your life, cause there's so many expectations set on you from all your friends, family, professors, everybody. And then you alter, you, you feel like, internally, like you failed. So I didn't tell anybody I even left the program for almost a year. None of my friends knew until I had bought my next like property and made some money. And I'm like, oh, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I, I don't mean to, to shed a real negative light on the field of economics. I think it's an important field. Oh, it is. And, it's a good field. And not all professors are as dense as this particular professor was, but yeah, there's a good number of them. It's just professors are. in general. The yeah. more you learn about something smaller, the less you are capable of understanding or interested other in learning other things, things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't work that way for me, but no, that's good. Yeah. in a very it's different field. Broad generalization. <laughs> yes. Psychology, I think, is kind of the opposite of economics in some respects. So probably true. Uh, at least at least system psychology is. So tell us a little bit about how you define financial independence, how to discover it, I think you gave us a hint of how you discovered that, but yes. you may go into a little more detail if you want to. What you say is that flipping houses doesn't fit that equation of financial independence. Right. So talk to us about that. So continuing on from that story, so I had bought that rental property and, and it was going okay. And then sometime after that, I had deployed to Afghanistan and I couldn't do any real estate there, but I read like 50 real estate books and, and listened to everything and read everything that there was. I spent a whole year just consuming real estate content. And it truly set me up to now. If I had dove right in at that point, I probably would have failed and lost a lot of money. But because I took the time, stepped back and learned, I learned a lot and was able to apply it. But then when I came back, somehow during that year, I went from, I want to buy a rental property to, I want to flip houses because in my head, real estate investing was house flipping because that's what most of the content at that time was about, was about house flipping back in like 2008, 2009. Like there, there's a lot more stuff on rental property syndications now, but back then there wasn't. And so I started, I, I bought a flip and I must say, I hated it. I hated the four or five months, six months or whatever it was that I had it. I didn't like it. I didn't make any money. I didn't lose any money. I made like a thousand dollars for six months worth of work. It was no fun. You're dealing with like problems and, and then the stress, you have to carry the money. It's just, I realized that that is, it's a job. 
And it's okay. It's a job that a lot of people make a lot of money at, but I wasn't looking to just grind forever. I was looking to have money knock on my door. And house flipping isn't how you get that now. Like, sure, if you own some huge, massive company that flips hundreds of properties, okay, maybe it's passive for you at that point. But for the average person, house flipping is not passive. And so I already explained how I discovered passive income, but I didn't understand financial independence till several years later, I think 2015 or 16, actually. So it was like five, six years later, I was just grinding. I was buying rental property. I was fixing them up. I eventually even had a remodeling crew fixing all my properties because I was doing so many and I was keeping almost all of them. And then I moved from Massachusetts to Texas. And I got sick and tired of the weather up in New England and, and I moved to Texas. And then I had to figure out how to like make it all work kind of remotely. And so I did and I really scaled it down. But I realized at some point during that whole process that if I kind of cut my living expenses down a little bit and I stopped spending everything that I earn, and you know, I, I had this gorgeous truck, I had like a sixty-five thousand dollar truck with all the bells and whistles and everything, and I'm and I'm like you know, the, the loan payment on that, the insurance on it was crazy. And the gas, so I, I traded in, I got a car and just the gas savings alone covered the whole payment for my brand new car. So it's like just little things. And, and if I adjusted my lifestyle a little bit, I realized basically the second variable of the financial independence equation is your passive income, but also your expenses. And those two combined give you your, you know, your leftover income. And as long as that leftover portion is positive, then you're financially independent and you don't need to work. And so I didn't realize, I didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't think about that second variable. I don't know, people don't talk about it back then, or, or people were just starting financial independence, or the fire movement was kind of just starting around that time. So people were just starting to talk about it. And I finally clicked all together. And I'm like, I cut my expenses down, changed everything. And at, when I moved to Texas, I was working a, uh, I picked up a job for the first time outside of real estate just because. During the transition, I just wanted to be a little safe. And I was able to quit that job after only about nine months. And I haven't worked like a, a regular job ever since then. So that was kind of my journey from passive income to financial independence. And they're definitely different things. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Yes, they definitely are. And I like how you define financial independence, not as having massive wealth, but as having that passive income that is just a little bit above your expenses there. Exactly. Uh, and uh, that's, I think, a different way of looking at uh, financial independence than a lot of people look at it. But a good explanation there, good example there. Thanks for sharing that. Well, once you created a foundation of rental properties, you moved, like you mentioned, from Massachusetts to Texas, and you began pursuing syndication. Mm -hmm. What was that like? Why did you go into syndication and are you still in syndication and why? Yeah. So great question. So we'll just start with, I got to Texas, had the job for a little bit, eventually quit the job. Then I had my second daughter. So I kind of took some time off for that. And then once that was all settled after six or eight months or whatever, I decided what's my next big thing. 
And I've been doing multifamily all this time, but it's small New England. So a lot of, you know, three, four, five, six unit type properties. And so um, what's next? Well, let's do a hundred plus units that I don't know. Um, why not? And so I got into syndicating and I syndicated, was a general partner on two very large syndications, 192 units and a 250 something unit. We're actually about to sell one of them. And that was, so I got into that and, you know, there's a, it's a, 70% the same as buying your own property, but that 30% is your capital raise and all the regulations that go around it. And it was fun. I enjoyed it, but I, I kind of stopped doing that after, after um, a couple of deals and I, and I altered a little bit and I've raised capital on many deals after that, but not in that formal syndication business model. So while, while it may sometimes if you pull on partners, it is a, you know, it's a syndication, but legally I didn't do the, the business model of like the typical buyer C or B class property, hundred units plus, you know, the, the same thing, all the other syndicators are doing. What I changed over to was I use capital raising as like a tool in my tool bag. And the reason why I do that is because I realized syndicating is a business in, in and of itself. And so I went from living off of my passive income to starting a new business. And at that point in time, I wasn't looking to build an investment company that raises lots of capital and buys lots of property. That's not really what I was looking to do. So after a couple, made some money, learned a lot about it, really enjoyed it. I'm like, this is not quite what I want. Let me see how I can alter that and make that fit into what I want. So I started doing some smaller deals back to my bread and butter and was focused on trying to raise capital in ways that allowed me to do deals that I wanted to do that fit into my portfolio and you know with my lifestyle, et cetera. So that's kind of why I switched away from it because again, being a general partner is not passive. It, it requires a lot of work. So that's that's why I shifted. So give us a little more understanding in terms of what it is that you currently are doing because I'm I'm not real clear. You're not syndicating, but you're taking on partners. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, fill us in on the details there and what's really going on. Yeah, sure. So when I do do real estate, and I have I bought my last deal I bought was at the beginning of this year because market's been a little crazy. But when I do do deals, I do sometimes pull on partners and they're mostly people that I know and I've known for a long time and people I like working with. And I don't really consider it work because it's talking to the people that are my friends that I would be talking to anyway. And so when we do buy deals, it's really, it's like technically following the same thing, but I've really altered it to just fit where it doesn't feel like working to me. It feels like fun for me. And so that's, sorry if there was some confusion on that, but that's basically what I do. And then also I I like to talk about real estate. That's what I spent a lot of my time doing about is teaching and and stuff because I did want to be a professor originally. So I've found two passions and I've combined them together. Well, give us an example of the last deal that you did. So are you looking for like the numbers or just want like a detail on the type of properties that I'm getting? The type of properties and the numbers. Sure. Okay. So the last part, let's just talk about the most, the one I'm working on right now. It's a nine family in Massachusetts, actually. And it's in a town that I know very well. I'm not going to mention the town though. And uh, it was owned by a guy for quite a long time and not well managed. And I mean, the, the roofs hadn't been replaced in... 40 or 50 years. Actually, it had original uh, roofing back to 1890 when it was built. And, uh, and it had sh- just shingles on top of that. Oh, okay. So okay. we had to rip all that off. And I, I mean, it's a lot of work. So I bought this thing for 550,000, nine units, and it needs about $100,000, $150,000 worth of work. But based on my numbers, it's worth nine hundred to a million dollars when it's done. So I'll be all in for 70%, 75% of its, of its value. And so 
you know, I have a loan on it now. I'll refinance it in, in a couple of years when I'm done turning over all the units and everything. And, and I'll cash it out 100% and return all the initial investment. And then I'll, I'll hang on to it probably for five or 10 years. And I'll, maybe I'll refinance it again or, or sell it depending on the market conditions. But you know, it's a really good property. It pays three or $4,000 a month net cash flow. For for us, so you know, forty fifty thousand dollars a year, whatever. It's a really good winning deal. So even now, it's cash flowing at three thousand. So it cash flowed. It, it cash flowed from day one, but only a little bit, and mm-hmm. I, I think only like fifteen hundred or or two thousand dollars. And that's not you know, insignificant, even, but but yeah. Well, it's a lot of money <laughs> if you're just a regular person. You buy, you put a hundred thousand dollars down, you get that. It's great, but uh-huh. you know, we doubling the 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 income was very significantly under market rent. So you're living in Texas and investing in Massachusetts, and yet you're investing in uh, smaller properties that you and just a few partners can go into without the headaches of syndication. So am I understanding that that's really primarily your market and your business model at this point in time? Yes, that that would be correct. so why are you investing in Massachusetts while living in Texas? Yeah, I get asked that all the time. One, I know the market extremely well. I was born and raised there. I know every street. I know all the towns. I know the people who live there. I know back of my hand, I can tell you every street. I, some of them, I even know the address. I'd be like, oh yeah, I know that one. Uh-huh. And so it's very easy. The market knowledge trumps all other issues that can pop up, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so I know, I know the building inspectors. Like I, I know, like I just, I just was on the phone today with the, the sewer department and the building inspector, you know, like I just know them. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it very easy for me to do business there. Now I'm, I do, uh, I do own a couple properties in Texas. I don't really talk about them, but I am trying to, I don't want to have all of my money in one geographic location. Just if there's a disaster or something, I'd be wiped out. So I am working to diversify out of it, but that's why I keep finding deals there on accident that just work great mm-hmm. for me because I just know them better than almost anybody. So it's hard to say no. Yeah. So so you know the markets, you know the people, clearly you have a network there, so it is mm-hmm. working for you. So why not continue to, to do that? Makes sense to me. What no. I shouldn't say this on air probably, but it just doesn't make sense to me why in the world, when you could live wherever you want to, why you're living in Texas. But I guess that's a personal. You don't like Texas. I love Texas. <laughs> Do you really? Um, okay. I couldn't wait to yeah. get out of Texas. So, oh, you're you, you're from Texas originally. <laughs> I'm not originally from Texas, but I spent a lot of time in Texas ah, okay. and hey. uh, could not wait to get it's out of there. Great, so, great thing is you can live anywhere you want. So, yeah, yeah whatever, okay. whatever you like. You know, <laughs> what part of Texas are you in? I'm in the Dallas area. The Dallas area. Okay. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time in Dallas. I, my sister, her, and her husband and their four daughters and their families still live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, I was down there, I don't know, I think it's three years ago now. And God, it was oh, okay. culture, cultural shock. I live in Appalachia and it's like, uh, <laughs> nope, not for me. So okay. <laughs> that's just doesn't have to be. That's the great thing. We can all live exactly where we want and do real estate anywhere in the country. So. Yeah, excellent. Yes. So interesting how you're making that work. And how essentially I think I like what you are explaining is it's a lifestyle you like and you're happy doing it. And I like how you talked about syndication. You did syndication, but you've gotten out of it just because it was not satisfying and fulfilling. And I can understand why it would not. 
But I do think it's a great model, especially for passive investors or the GPs who like want to have that business. I have nothing against it. I just don't think it fits me on a regular basis for what I want to do. That's all. You know, and, and it's a good model, I think, for limited partners. Oh, especially. Uh, and uh, who are looking for passive investing and do not want to get into the real estate aspects of development, of management, uh, capital raising, and all that goes along with syndication from a general partner's perspective. It is a job, it's not passive. For sure. But from a limited partner perspective, it can be an ideal uh, kind of thing to yeah. get into. I think it's a great learning point for for people who are thinking about either being passive or active. They like a lot of people say, "Well, why would I take less? I can do it myself." It's because it's a lot of work. That's why you take a little bit less and let somebody else do all the work. That, that's all. So it's a, it's a great thing to think about if you're not sure what direction to go. Exactly. Well, tell us about your educational and coaching programs and how it is that uh, people can get uh, take advantage of those and mm-hmm. uh, get in touch with you. Yeah. So I've um, just recently actually changed directions a little bit and I'm now doing once or twice a month, I'm doing little workshops online, like one day deals. And so I got, you know, by the time this airs, I'll be done with my next one, but you know, the, the next one available, you can see the link in the corner here. So my next one is a deal analysis workshop. We're just going to spend all day going through spreadsheets and numbers, super boring stuff, but the most important stuff that you need to, to go through it. And they're, they're, very affordable tickets are under a hundred bucks and you can spend a whole day and crunch numbers together and do them all like go through all of the operating costs and after repair values and all that stuff so that people my goal is when you walk away you'll be able to make an offer with confidence and know that your numbers are correct and i think that's the most important stuff most people like to talk about all the pie in the sky and big dream stuff i'm more of a numbers oriented person so that's what i like to do and that's what I, I, I could talk numbers all day. I have multiple monitors. I like having spreadsheets up all over the place. It's just how I am. So that's what I like to teach. And that's uh, if anybody wants to uh, sit on a, sit in on a, on a seminar or whatever, they can go to realestateinvesting.org slash event, and it will automatically redirect you to whatever my next one is coming up. And you can take a look at it. Sounds like a great deal at a reasonable cost with uh, good information. I have one more question for you before we close here, and that is share one of your most difficult setbacks in life and how did you come through that time and what was the major lesson you learned from that experience? Okay. The most difficult, especially real estate related one, was I partnered with the wrong person and a person I trusted very much who was very close to me for many, 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 many years, decades. And I was really hurt by that. And I won't go into all the details of it, but it was devastating. And me and my wife, we were like depressed, wouldn't leave the house for like nine months because of how like bad it, it really hurt us. And it, you know, financially set us back a little bit, but it was more the the close person. And so I learned a lot of lessons out of that. One, don't partner with people that you're very close with unless you really know <laughs> that their things are going to work out because relationships fall apart because of things like that. And that's one. And two, you know, the money, the money isn't that important. And I, I was at a uh, I was at a seminar in uh, Bob Helms, the, the father of Robert Helms, who does the real estate, the real estate guys podcast. He was telling a story about how he lost like millions of dollars to a bad partner. And it, I was going through that. And I, I, while I was watching that, I was going through that. And I'm like, man, if you can lose like $3 million and bounce back from it, I think I can lose like whatever it was, it was like $30,000 or $40,000. Like, But the nine months that I spent not doing business because of how upset it was, I, I could have lost multiple six figures 
by gutting myself get stuck by it. So one, choose your partners very wisely. You are more financially invested with your partner than you are with your spouse. So you should vet them as well as you would a spouse. And uh, that's one. Two, if you do suffer a setback, don't let it hold you back because the opportunity costs of the time that you're missing, you're losing is worth way more than the financial loss that you just incurred. Excellent, excellent advice. And I know you're absolutely 100% correct. That emotional setback is always going to be more devastating than the financial setbacks. And they can hold us back for years. Uh, You were fortunate that it was only nine months because those psychological, emotional setbacks can be tremendous and very difficult to come back from. Yes, very much. Eric, it's been wonderful having you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.